Welcome, everybody, to the University of Applied Research and Development Educators Podcast. It's our honour to have with us Dr. Tim Magna, who is the uh, president of the Greater Shrevewood Chamber of Commerce, and we're delighted to have him. Huge educational background, experience in edtech and leadership. Wonderful to have you with us, Tim. Thanks. It's delightful to be able to be with you. You've had such a varied experience and different things that you've done and worked for the Department of Education as well and P21. So I'd just love for you to tell us how you came to be where you're at now with your certain role that you're leading. So again, you know, one of the things that I have uh, found in, I, I gave a, a presentation to my, one of my kids' classes about five years, well, they were more than five years ago. He was in fifth grade, so a long time ago. But I said, you know, the, one of the things about um, my experiences has been that the only job that I had by the, at that point and actually since uh, that existed when I was in school was teacher. All of the other jobs that I've had um, have uh, evolved in large part because technology created them, whether that's CIO or uh, web designer or a lot of those things. And so the ironically or, or not, I suppose, uh, the, our Chamber of Commerce has been around for 100 years, uh, 110 years. We were founded in 1910. And uh, I was the CIO at the local medical school when this position came open. And it was really an opportunity for me to uh, take a lot of the work that I had done in uh, nonprofit work around the world, really, and, and, and apply it locally here. Uh, an opportunity to work with our local school districts and uh, to or our business community and really help to, to build and, and develop the kind of community that, you know, we hopefully all want to live in. And a lot of that has actually revolved around education and technology, ironically, in, in, in part because education is such a big part of, of economic development and having a good school system and having places where kids can go to school for the parents who, uh, who, who work, live here but also as a workforce development component and, and really how we create the 21st century educational opportunities that prepare our students for the workforce of the future. So it, it really has been a, an interesting uh, evolution. And, you know, coupling that with the idea that technology is a platform that enables us to, uh, as I like to say, live here, work anywhere. Uh, you know, you're in Jakarta, I'm, in, I'm here in Shreveport. And so the idea of being able to uh, have a quality of life uh, that, you know, there's not no traffic here, we can live, you know, there's affordable housing and lots of great stuff like that, and uh, the ability for folks to literally work uh, on projects uh, and for organizations around the world is something that I'm, I'm really trying to encourage our community to embrace, but also encourage you know, businesses and organizations and individuals to embrace it as well. Yeah, I love that. I love that you said about 21st century learning and we can be working anywhere and living anywhere. I know you were, you were the executive director of P21. Do you want to just tell us about your experiences there and what drew you to the organization? So I, I, uh, when I, uh, in the early, two, early 2000s, I guess it was, um, seems like so long ago and yet just yesterday, um, I actually had an opportunity when I was at Microsoft to, to be one of the founding board members for the partnership for 21st century skills. And it was, you know, at the time it was a, a radical notion that there were things that were beyond uh, the, what we would think of as sort of the traditional hard skills that were critically important for, uh, for uh, um, young people and people of all ages really to have. And that that really came out of conversations with the business community saying that there were things like, critical thinking and communication and collaboration and, and critical problem solving 
were in fact at least as important as um, you know mathematical capabilities, uh, writing, and, and not in place of, but that those were the skills. Those were really career skills versus necessarily job skills. And so when I uh, after my tenure at Microsoft, I, I went to the U.S. Department of Education and, and ran the Office of Educational Technology for a number of years. And so when I, uh, when the, that administration ended, uh, I had the opportunity to, uh, to take over the partnership. And, and really, um, you know, what was interesting about it at the time was it had been, the partnership had really begun as a campaign. Uh, you know, they, they thought it'd be around for a couple of years and, and get people excited and then they would be able to kind of go on from there. And what uh, they ended up realizing was that uh, it, it was actually a much longer um, process. And so uh, I was uh, part of the, the 10th anniversary actually, uh, when we were able to uh, really begin to celebrate that. And, and at that point, the urgency was still there. Um, I likened it to, you know, you hear about uh, musicians, uh, you know, uh, music groups, right? They, they have their one hit and it's the only thing anybody wants to hear, um, but it's always new to somebody. And, uh, and so whenever, we, you know, however often we talked about the four seasons, right, for century skills, it was always new to somebody. And yet at the same time, we recognized that it was important to move beyond just the, the hey, where, you know, here's some good ideas, but actually look to see how people were implementing it. And so we had a, we were able to, to go around, really around the, the country um, and identify um, school districts and schools and sometimes teachers who were really implementing the 21st century skills in, in really powerful ways and were showing the, the impact that it could have. So it wasn't, it wasn't theoretical anymore. It wasn't just a bunch of cool ideas, but these were actually people who had, had really embedded it into, in some cases, classrooms, in some cases, schools, in some cases, whole districts, and it had really informed and fundamentally reshaped how they viewed the opportunities they were providing for students. So it was, it was a fascinating opportunity to, to really um, explore that at, at, at scale. Yeah, I do want to thank you for the work that you did there with the partnership. I mean, I'm from New Zealand, but the conferences that I've attended in New Zealand, Australia, watched virtually in Canada, from around the world, the research, the publications from the partnership has been really influential and it's referenced a lot. So the work that you did there has made an international impact and um, has really given people inspiration and ideas. And both of those two things are fantastic. So thanks for what you did there. Well, thank you, and, and I, you know, I, I want to return the compliment because one of the my um, the things that I was uh, really lucky to be able to do, um, both with my work with SIF, the, the Schools and Operability Framework, but also um, particularly with Microsoft and the Department of Education, was I got to travel around the world as well and, and visit Australia and visit New Zealand and visit um, places in Asia and Africa and um, and uh, in, in Europe and really learned a lot there as well. I mean, a lot of the work that informs the, and one of the, the really exciting um, sort of synergies that came out of the work of the partnership was the alignment that, that cropped up, again, the, and the New Zealand um, Department of uh, the National Department had put together a, a framework that was very similar, again, some different language. And what we used to, we used to the kid about that, you know, everybody wants to call it something, something, you know, something unique, but there was a lot of, of um, you know, cross-geographic alignment, uh, and which was very heartening, um, both because of because it, it, it was sort of 
validating the work of each individual party, but that there was a, an emerging sort of global consensus, if I, maybe that's too strong a word, but certainly a, a, a global recognition that these were skills that um, were not only critical for young people to have, but again, were really critical um, throughout so, um, someone's career and could, and could really be those differentiators, irrespective of someone's background or, or, uh, or origin. So we have um, educators, educational leaders from K-12 government schools, private schools, from Indonesia, the Philippines, uh, Kathmandu in Nepal, also in Malta. So we're quite international in terms of our, our Masters of Education students. Everyone has limited time, energy and resources. And as you said before, that when you were at school, the only job that existed was the job teacher. And the other jobs you've had didn't exist, but technology has changed things. So if educational leaders could marshal their resources, their time, their energy on a particular area of focus, what would you advise them to do? You know, I think the when you look at other job areas, when you look at medicine is a great example. Uh, you know, it used to be, and this is going to be an American reference, so I apologize. I don't know what the what the analog would be uh, around the world, but um, there used to be an old television show called Marcus Welby, MD, and uh, it would there was a a doctor and his nurse, and they basically, you know, uh, would take care of people. And now, um, you may be familiar with House, right? The the, um, the Hugh Laurie uh, production, where uh, you know, there the the doctors still do the same thing. They do diagnosis and prescription, and yet. They, uh, the house has so much more tech, you know, information inside people, you know, labs and, and x-rays and, and CT scans and all those sorts of things. So the, the, the activity is still the same, but the technology has not only provided more information, but it has provided an entirely new set of job roles. Um, PRNs, physician's assistants, there's a whole um, sort of hierarchy of people who are there to support that diagnosis and prescription activity that house does. Um, in education, teachers design, you know, deliver, assess, evaluate, report the whole life cycle of instructional design, delivery, evaluation, and, and um, assessment is all still in many cases done by one individual. We haven't leveraged the technology and consequently, we haven't created the opportunity for, for new job roles to emerge. It may be that I'm a great presenter, or it may be that you're a great curriculum developer. And so we miss the opportunity to really have your skill set in the curriculum development and maybe, you know, my presentation skills or my assessment skills. And the idea of really unpacking what it is that happens in that black box that is school could do a number of things. One, I might be able to change student-teacher ratios, and I know, especially in a lot of countries in the world, um, you know, the idea of having 20 or 30 in a classroom is a, is a gift when you're talking 60 or 70. Um, but it's also, I think, opportunities to look at um, from a career path standpoint. My mother was a teacher for her entire career, and she started as a teacher and she retired as a teacher. And you know, there was some there was some work that she did to help mentor other teachers, but that was really there was no career ladder for her. And I, think, and I think when you look at um, technology-mediated instruction, especially when today with, in the time of COVID when we're looking at a lot of in, uh, online instruction and things like that, being able to unpack that cycle of instructional delivery and design and assessment and evaluate report and really determine whether there are, in fact, skill sets that are better suited toward pieces of that, maybe a teamed approach, 
again, I think we haven't really unpacked that what happens inside that box that is school. We keep, we keep trying to throw stuff in the box, but we haven't tried to necessarily unpack or restructure how the box operates. And I think if teachers had that opportunity, I mean, if, if, if educators took the time to step back and say, what are we trying to do? With P21, for example, you know, it's really about when school was, was designed, it was designed because information was scarce and you needed to bring people together because you had a broadcast model. Well, today you and I can, you know, broadcast information literally all over the world. And so what's the value of bringing age-banded cohorts of kids together for six to eight hours a day? Well, some is clearly childcare. But if you take the, the, the elements of the, the P21 framework and you look at those types of things, getting kids to do meaningful work that it, it enables them to apply what they know, suddenly the idea of coming to school to be in a band or coming to school to build a catapult or coming to school to create and make and do, suddenly the rationale for face-to-face -face education is really, really strong. And so if we can flip that dynamic and be able to broadcast information out, suddenly the job roles that are required to enable students to create and make and do are very different perhaps than the ones that we've, we, we, we've looked to teachers for in the past. And also, you know, one of the big challenges in this country, and I know it, it, it's similar around the, the world, is what we pay teachers. Well, if, if you have a much more specialized skill or you have a much more uh, specialized uh, responsibility set or a skill set, now we can look at career ladders that are perhaps more lucrative as well. So I think as you look at what happens in school, what the output of school is, right now, especially uh, in the time of, of this pandemic where so much learning is going remote, um, it's really about information delivery. It's not necessarily about learning. And I, I, I don't want to be pedantic in making that distinction. But I think when you look at the kinds of things that we want students to be able to do, ultimately, it's not be able to, to, you know, you give them 100 questions and then you give them the 101st question and they were able to answer it. It's really about you give them 100 questions and then you present them with a question they've never seen before and they have to take all of that information and apply it. That's certainly what we're all trying to figure out now with this pandemic, right? There's no answers in the back of the book about what we're supposed to do. And I think if we look at, un unpacking what happens in schools, making it be more about create and make and do, and then restructure the job roles around that, I think we can create really exciting instructional delivery models, you can create new staffing and hiring models, and you can in fact reinvigorate the value of the face-to-face -face school environment in a very technology-mediated construct. Wow, that's a big challenge and a um, complete <laughs> shift in the way that schools would operate, in the way that they're led, in the way that they are staffed and developed and what happens with students. That's going to be challenging for us to wrestle with in our, in our master's class. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, you know, I, I, have, I have every confidence that your students will be the ones who, who figure out the, the mechanisms to do that. You know, I, there was an interesting dynamic uh, at a, um, there was a school a number of years ago in, I think it was in Minnesota, where they had created the, the school hierarchy much more like you would have a law firm, where uh, instead of having sort of a pyramid, you had more of a, of a sort of a network uh, effect. And what it did was it, it, it enabled a um, collaborative creativity model rather than a, a sort of a, a, a didactic hierarchical model. And I think as you look at, especially 
um, smaller school environments. I think this is particularly true in, in rural areas. You know, I think there are ways to begin to tinker with the, the opportunities to provide new instructional delivery models. Um, in, you know, even in large systems, you can have these pilot projects. I think if we begin to really tease apart um, the, the opportunities here, we can find those things that are ultimately successful and begin to, to, to scale or begin to replicate them. And I think parents, especially now, um, in, in, as a consequence of, in some cases, of having to actually teach their children at home, <laughs> they understand now how hard it is to be a teacher, many of them, um, the opportunity to uh, really look at, um, I think many parents would be hunger hungry for the opportunity to create opportunities for their children to do things differently, to be part of that exploration and that engagement in a way that, that is ultimately different than, uh, than what they've had in the past. So you've done your, uh, your master's at Harvard, fantastic yeah. school, um, your doctorate at Pepperdine, great university. Um, I've studied at Auckland University, completing my PhD now, New Zealand's best university. How, how challenged are we in our formal education system and the way that we credential it and, I guess, recognise achievement? How challenged is the model that you and I have come through compared with where things are going? Do you think that the two coexist and what happens inside the box is just a little bit different in the future? No, I, you know, I, I think there's, a, there's two, and again, I... I, I, I I can only really speak from, from the U.S. perspective on this particular point. But, you know, one of the challenges that we've really been saddled with is, uh, what, uh, is a, a push toward what I would call sort of anti-intellectualism, this idea of the flattening of expertise. Um, you know, uh, on the Internet, everyone has an opinion and everyone could be a dog, right? I mean, it's this idea that um, all opinions are equal. And as long as I have a platform, I have a Twitter handle or, or I have a blog, um, my opinion is as valid as everyone else's. And so I think we, um, the, the value of expertise, the, the, um, the critical nature of it, the, um, the, the expertise as the culmination of a set of study, I think has, has become undervalued. Um, I think at the same time, there's a lot of push toward, uh, again, particularly in, in, in our country, toward um, completion and certificates and sort of, you know, checking the box and getting it done. And as a consequence, I think, um, the, I think we, we, we run the risk of losing something uh, when it comes to the dynamic of the educational experience. Uh, I, you know, again, go back to the, the K-12 model I talked about just a moment ago. I think when you look at the, um, the experiential component of, of education. And I, 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 I make a distinction here between instructional, you know, instructional or information delivery, training and education. Um, education, I think the d distinction from my perspective is it folds back on itself, right? I'm, 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 I'm growing through processing and applying what I know. So if we don't have the opportunity to do that in in some cases, a rarefied form, like with your, your doctoral program or a master's program, where you don't have an opportunity to truly wrestle with the ideas, not just the, the, the information, but the ideas. Um, and, and, you, and you actually work toward creating new knowledge. Um, I think we're, we're as, a, as, a, as a people, as a, as a global community, we will be the poorer for it. Um, because the, the, unless we wrestle with the, 
what we know, put it through the ringer, and then you know discount what doesn't work, uh, validate what does, and create new knowledge. We run the risk of never of being satisfied with what we have informationally. Um, you know, the the idea at its most reductive is if we had ten world class teachers and we all, and, and we had them teach algebra on YouTube we would be done with school. It's just about sit down in front of and watch Sal Khan or watch, you know, whomever teach uh, that, that, that information. But it's more than that. And so I, what I worry about, in, particularly in higher education, is this push toward um, applicability, job applicability, this idea that you go to college to get a job. That's true. Um, but when you think about the jobs that exist today, the job that I went to college for doesn't, you know, you know has been superseded. And the job that's, jobs that I've had, I didn't go to college for. And so what, what I like to think was, was most valuable about that experience was the, create, the, the creativity, learning to do with people, coming up with new ideas, struggling, um, you know, all of those pieces, which I think need to be part of that educational experience. And, and as the model I alluded to earlier, Need, they need to start much younger because students, when they, when they get to where we are today, if we're talking about dealing with climate change or we're talking about uh, artificial intelligence or we're talking about going to Mars or we're talking about you know, viral um, pandemics, there are no answers in the back of the book. We need students who can create, who can think creatively and who can problem solve in ways that take limited amounts of information and apply them broadly. And I think if we, if we discount expertise, if we undercut the value of application of knowledge, not just collection of information, then we, we, we do ourselves a disservice by dismantling the institutions that have brought us this far. You know, when we think about the, the university, when we think about Oxford and Cambridge or, you know, uh, the places around the world who, that have been the, the, the fonts of knowledge and, and, and experience, they have been the seeds for ideas that have gotten us this far. We need to preserve that opportunity and recognize that it is an opportunity, but do our best to expand that opportunity um, through technology, through different, um, you know, different kind of delivery models, but in a way that, that ultimately values the knowledge creation component and the public good that comes from it. Mm, I love that. Protect the opportunity, but expand the opportunity. That's great. Yeah. Hey, Tim, just in the, in the last couple of minutes that we have, for our aspiring leaders, those who are looking to be principals, directors, maybe set up their own school or shift into another area, what's some career advice or experiences that you would encourage them to have? Um, teach. Um, I think, you know, one, for anyone who's been who wants to be an instructional leader or wants to be an organizational leader, I think uh, having experience on the front lines is essential. Um, it gives you empathy, it gives you exposure, and it gives you the kind of um, uh, uh, credible understanding of the other side of the desk, if you will. Um, and that may not necessarily be in a formal context, um, but uh, again, or it, uh, so I think, I think every, every, lead, every educational leadership opportunity uh, pathway should should have a chance to stand in front of a classroom and know what it's like and answer questions from kids who think they're smarter than you and what whatever um, I think I think that's an important piece um, but I also think that it is um, you know there are two kinds of, of models there's the sort of heads down which is 
looking at what you what you're doing, sort of managing your 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 own environment. And I think our higher education institutions have done a a, a serviceable job of, of preparing um, leaders in that in that context. What I don't know that they've they've done as good a job in is what I call the heads up, uh, especially now when we're uh, when you're an instructional leader and you're an educational leader. Um, there is so much going on in the world today. Um, and so being aware, you know, increasing your situational awareness about where your students are going to end up or where your students could end up. Because I think the, the opportunity to re-embed those experiences for students is key, but also for practitioners. You know, look for externships for your teachers. Look for opportunities to embed teachers in the workplace of today, because it's very different in many respects than what, what they've grown up in. And especially from a technology standpoint in many places, it's very different from the way school lists functions. And so it's, it's really getting that, um, that gr grounding on the one hand and that strategy on the other. The other piece, and I had an opportunity to, to spend some time at one of our um, uh, military um, uh, colleges recently. And what was really fascinating to me was the recognition on the part of the, the individuals who are moving from tactical um, uh, delivery to strategic management. And I like, it's the difference between being a stick catcher and a stick thrower, right? Um, and I think what that shift from heads down to heads up um, occasions, a it requires a different perspective and, and brings with it different burdens. And I think for our leaders to recognize that there's a difference between management and leadership, it's not leadership if nobody follows, um, and that, uh, it, and that as a consequence, being able to understand that your job really is, is to mediate those two perspectives, is to, is to care for, provide direction and, you know, nurturing for the folks under your control or your, your, your stewardship, but also then to be the heads up to make sure that the, the direction that you're steering your ship of state or school, whatever, is, you know, you're avoiding the rocks and things like that. And, and I, I think more, you know, unfortunately, folks tend to get stuck either in heads down or heads up. And I think modulating between the two is really key. And so if you're, um, uh, the folks who are aspiring to that, take that with them and recognize that, that there really is that dual responsibility, then I think that may help them um, on, on both sides, both empathize and, and sort of manage downward, but also be able to um, uh, uh, manage upward and, and, and really take, take advantage of the opportunities that exist out there uh, in the world to bring the world into their schools so their schools can be embedded back in the world. Lovely. Dr. Tim, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate you giving it to us. Hey, I'm delighted and uh, good luck. I'd love to, to, to speak with you again if the opportunity arises.